Spoiler alert! You're listening to the Comics Online Podcast. Season 10. Episode 14. Kill Shakespeare. This episode, Elliot interviews the creators of Kill Shakespeare at Comic-Con San Diego 2010. Hello again and welcome to the Comics Online Podcast, Season 10, Episode 14. I'm your host, Kevin Goswan, and with me today is... Oh, wait. Uh, I, I'm actually not a part of this episode, but uh, this episode... Elliot is going to interview the creators of Kill Shakespeare at Comic-Con San Diego 2010, and uh, it was worth putting into a podcast episode, so uh, here it is. We hope you enjoy it. All right, I'm here with uh, Anthony Del Cole, one of the co-creators, and the, uh, you said the writer? Co-creator, co-writer, yeah. Co-writer uh, for uh, the comic Sh- Kill Shakespeare. All right. Um, this actually works really, really well. Oh, it is? Okay, um, All right, so Shakespeare, what, what, what on God's green earth made you decide that you wanted to do this? Um, David Carradine. That's it? That's your That's one David Carradine wanted. No, um, I'm half-joking in that. Um, about six years ago, Connor and I were just sitting around one day just brainstorming ideas for video games. We've been mm-hmm. working on some TV stuff, some video game stuff, and uh, we're trying to come up with a great idea. And so we talked about Kill Bill, the Quentin Tarantino films. Right, okay. And we thought Kill Bill would make an interesting game, but instead of trying to track down David Carradine, it should be somebody else. It should be another Bill. It could be Bill, not Billy Baldwin, uh, Bill Shakespeare. And it's all the characters together, and they're all in this ad- ad- adventure to kind of, wait a minute, Shakespeare. Cool. Right. So then from there, we started to come up with what exactly this world was, who the characters would be, you know, which ones out of them. Would it be Hamlet? Would it be Prince Hal? Would it be Juliet? Would it be Ophelia? That sort of thing. And it kind of, a lot of it just kind of came to us naturally. And then, uh, like I said, it was about six years ago, we thought of it as a, a video game. We thought of it as a film. And then it was, uh, we put it on the shelf because Connor and I were busy. I was working in the music industry, helping to manage artists like Nelly Furtado. Um, Connor was working with journalism at uh, Business News Network, which is the Canadian equivalent of MSNBC. Uh-huh. And uh, about three years ago, we kind of pulled out of the drawer and started to re-examine what is, the be- like, what is the best format or what is the best medium for this? And we thought comic books. Right. Uh, for a couple reasons. One is when Shakespeare wrote his productions, he wrote them to be performed. There's full of action, there's full of drama, there's full of everything in it. And you can't capture that when reading it. So we thought a comic book for a small amount of money would be able to do that for us. Right. You know, for, for a fraction of the cost of putting together as a film or a video game. And also we just liked the types of stories that were being told in comic books. So we thought this would be the perfect format. I mean, because I was born and raised on superhero comics, and then I kind of lost interest in it. And then when Connor worked for one of the top retailers in Toronto called The Silver Snail, he reintroduced me to how great comics were. And I mean, not only the superhero ones, but, you know, the Why the Last Man and The Walking Dead and Blankets. Blankets is probably my favorite comic book series still. Oh, nice. Um, and I mean, just with all that stuff together, that's why we thought Kill Shakespeare would be great as a, as a comic book series. Excellent. And uh, I'm glad actually you went with Hamlet. I was actually, he was the most memorable character. Oh, really? I mean, I know Romeo and Juliet was kind of a thing, yeah. but I mean, that, you know, that, that tragedy, I, I noticed that Romeo is a character. Yeah. Um, um, Shh, that's a spoiler alert. Oh, oh I'm <laughs> no, sorry. No, it's on the right. website. It's on the website. <laughs> right, right. It, you mentioned that. But, um, you know, I'm glad you went with Hamlet because uh, he's the most memorable for me. Yeah. I mean, as a personal, as a fan standpoint. Yeah. But, um, you know, and he's, his nobility of a character works really well for, you know, the protagonist right there. And, um, 
I hear that, you know, I'm seeing that you guys are getting a lot of flack for this. Is that is that true? Is that you guys are getting a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people hammering you because you guys are kind of ruining the name here? Or, um, or they, that's what they think. I don't necessarily think yeah, so. No, I kind of like the, yeah, like the ability you. to sound. Uh, no, actually, not that many people, but there have been a couple of vocal few that have uh, opposed Kill Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a uh, noted scholar, or a Shakespearean scholar by the name of Kimberly Cox, mm-hmm. uh, who on bleedingcool.com, um, she posted a long rant about why she hated Kill Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. It made her throw up in her mouth three times, that's what she says, and uh, she wants to bitch slap us. Nice. Uh, oh, and I forgot to mention, she's also, she's also the girlfriend of Frank Miller. Oh, okay. Kind of interesting. Weird. So, you think um, she would appreciate the medium. Yeah, exactly. You, you would think so. And it's funny when you actually read the columns on bleedingcool.com, like the forums. Mm-hmm. You know, the first half are coming to her defense. The second half are going like, well, maybe she should be criticizing the, uh, Frank Miller's The Spirits instead. Right. Um, but anyways, no. So it's her and a couple other scholars that have kind of raised their eyebrow and looked, at, looked down upon us. Um, because they think that we're desecrating Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have modern-day language. So they say, well, why can't you write in I make the tabular? Why You're ruining Shakespeare by getting rid of the language. And we counter by saying, yes, we are getting rid of the language, but the language is the part that makes Shakespeare so inaccessible these days. I mean, mm-hmm. it's beautiful, but it's, and it's poetic, but it's written 400 years ago. Right. So really what you want to do is strip the language away and just boil it down to its its essence, which are the characters, and these aren't the greatest characters of all time. Right, and, you, and, and essentially, I think you have ca- captured the essence of the characters, their, uh, their emotions and what drives them, and you can see that especially in the, fir- uh, the first two issues, especially with Hamlet, King Richard. Uh, Thank you. It's just, it's, it's really, really good. And and you also got a lot of, a lot of homage with the language as well. You got the the arts and thou arts yeah, and, course, and yeah, there yeah. as well, and it's mixed with the modern English too, so it's kind of like not... Hard to read is actually it is in comics. You know, you want it to kind of be smooth. It goes fast. I mean, you, yeah. you can read a thirty-two, you know, a thirty-two page comic yeah. pretty fastly, or, yeah. or the second page, the second comic was twenty-four pages, I yeah. think. But uh, um, no, I counted. No, but, uh, <laughs> I know you did your research, right? But yeah, um, yeah, the first issue we wanted to make it more. We wanted to get more bang for the buck. Well, and it, it's got the great cliffhanger, leaves you hanging, yeah. wanting to read yeah. more. So and. Um, um, uh, no, sorry, I, I, I uh, distracted you. No, about, about the language. Yeah, I mean, because the language, yeah, you're absolutely right. We, we do a lot of these and thous and arts and that sort of thing. But, yeah, I mean, we want to just make it accessible for everybody. So if you've read Shakespeare before, you'll love this. If right. you haven't read Shakespeare before, we think you'll really love this because it's it captures the essence of those characters. And, yes, we don't put the language, like Shakespeare in language, but we try to keep as honest and truthful and faithful to the characters as the they were originally designed. Yeah, so, I mean, Hamlet is the ultimate indecisive character, and our interpretation is he's still indecisive. I mean, right. we take him from the play, so we still kind of in that mind frame where it's like, oh my god, everything in my, in my life is messed up right now. So, and I mean, with Juliet, as we meet her in issue four, I mean, we've taken some liberties, like with our Juliet, She's, it's seven or eight years after well, you have Romeo. To, you know, it's a yeah, comic exactly. book, of course. So. Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, our Juliet is seven or eight years after the after Romeo's been killed. So she actually was brought back to life. She's resuscitated, and, you know, she's now trying to atone for what happened. You know, she's no longer the whining schoolgirl, but now she's kind of a rebellious leader. You know, she's like a Joan of Arc-type character. So we think the way she was, she was so... Um, such a strong force in Romeo and Juliet in the play that we think it's just natural that seven or eight years later and after everything that's happened she would be a force for battling against tyranny. Right. So we, you know, we, we, we try to stay honest and truthful to these characters because it's not hard to do that because, I mean, they they were so great in the first place. That's what, that's what makes Shakespeare so cool. I mean, right. I mean, you have a ton of subject material to work with yeah. originally and um, I like it. Sorry. Oh, it's a long day. And, um, yeah, I know. 
But it's great that you. Uh, oh, and what my question was, um, um, you know, you, you guys inserted this magic element to be able to bring her back, which is actually really cool. So it opens a lot of uh, other options as well. And yeah. it looks like this, the, the the introduction of, of the of Shakespeare in the first uh, the first issue yeah. as the the like the spirit, this necromancer kind of thing right yeah. there. Oh, probably opens a lot more to bring a lot of other characters back that have died wrongly or whatever. Yeah. So which yeah. may be um, is is that a hint that maybe the king coming back in the end with, with Shakespeare's power or? Uh, well, I can't oh, give away any spoilers. Father back. I can't or? give any spoilers, but I mean that's obviously the quest that um, that Hamlet is on. Right. And what ultimately, we right. Ultimately, what we discover as we go on. So this is Andy Blanchet, the artist. Oh, yeah. Hi, Andy. Welcome. Um, sorry, this is Elliot from Comics Online. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. So I don't want to give away the spoilers, but eventually, what you find out is, I mean, the first two issues, Hamlet's on this quest to track down this reclusive evil wizard by the name right. of Shakespeare. And as we go on, especially in issues four and five and six, he meets Juliet and Othello and Falstaff, and these people tell him, well, look, you're supposed to find Shakespeare, but he's actually a good guy. He's actually the creator. He's a positive creator. Right. And you're supposed to save him, not kill him. So, I mean, that, that ultimately is Hamlet's quest. And, I mean, to, to talk about the magical element, I mean, that's the great thing about Shakespeare. I mean, he had everything in his plays, including fantasy and magic. So, I mean, in, in the case of Romeo and Juliet, there are fantastical elements. I mean, the, the apothecary has a potion that can make Juliet basically die for three days and then come back to life. Right. So we don't think, we don't think it's that much of a stretch of imagination to have Juliet be resuscitated after she was killed. Uh, in the same sense, I mean, you have the three witches from Macbeth. I mean, they have the magical powers. And right. Macbeth kind of, you know, and you'll, you'll meet her more, especially in issue three, um, where she comes, you know, front and center. Um, I mean, they, they can incorporate their own magic into it. So it is, it is a possibility. I mean, we don't, we never really know what's going to happen with Hamlet. And the great thing about it is Hamlet is, is the ultimate indecisive character. So, I mean, all of a sudden he's now faced with the choice of do I find this god and kill him or do I find a god and save him? You know, to kill or not to kill him. We think that's the, uh, that is the question. Right, and, and there's a lot of hints to him um, battling that in the beginning when he kills Polonius and then he's, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know, when he's on the, the, the boat even and he's yeah. fighting, he's just like torn between, the, you know, I'm not a killer. He's, he's in, even in yeah. the first issue, I think he'd argue it three times that he's not yeah. a murderer, he's not a killer when he's accused yeah. of it. So, um, but back to that, the magic element, is there a hint that, that, that Hamlet's going to kind of gain some powers to assist him in his thing? Or is it more of, we're going to bring in more characters that are going to have these um, fantastical abilities to assist Hamlet? So he's just going to be the, the uh, you know, the, the I guess the, um, the do-gooder straight, yeah. you know, the knight through and through kind of thing. And then we're going to introduce the wizards and the, you know, kind of hints from the other, yeah. you know. In issue three, we introduced two key uh, elements to the story. Mm-hmm. One is uh, Puck mm-hmm. from nice. Midsummer Night's Dreams, the magical right. fairy. And the second one, which actually now that I think about, it, is introducing issue two, which is um, a magic dagger. Okay, yeah, I saw that. And that's what's going to get Hamlet his powers as the the story goes on. Hamlet also has the power to find Shakespeare. Yeah. So when he's sort of wandering around, they're using Hamlet because he has, like, a path literally opens up in front of him wherever he goes, pointing him towards Shakespeare. And that was with the dagger. No, I I think it's... Is it with the dagger? I think it's him. Okay, yeah. I cannot reveal that, but uh, there, okay. there are two magical forces in play in that case, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Hamlet does have this ability because he is the, uh, there is a prophecy that says he is the Shadow King. So he does have the ability. He's the only one, only one at all that can find that, that knows exactly where Shakespeare is, but Hamlet doesn't know where he is. Sam has to use his power that he has. He kind of has to, to follow, the, he has to walk the path. Yeah. Okay, so, so there's a, a higher level of destiny yeah. that you're creating. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, that really, that's a really a good homage to the original material there. Yeah. 
Excellent. Now revisiting the uh, revisiting the, um, the the flag that you guys were getting again. Oh, yeah. Now I'm not trying to bring that oh, no, no, that's fun. The, in a bad light. I'm no, actually no, trying I, to. I love um, the fact that people are talking about this because our whole pro, our whole goal of this approach is, is to get people talking about Shakespeare. So, right. I and mean, if we're talking about what's the right way to interpret Shakespeare, and what's the wrong way, this is exactly what we want. Well, you know, negative any publicities, you know, any publicities so is fine. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, with that said, though, I think um, you know, um, I wasn't a big uh, I wasn't a big you know I actually never read Lord of the Rings before I saw the first movie. Yeah. And then that turned me into the huge, like I'm a huge fan. Uh-huh. And, um, and and this is the same way, I'm guessing. You know, you, somebody gets a medium like this, and you're like, well, you know, I kind of want to explore more of the original material. Yeah. So then you got a lot more original Shakespeare yeah. fans out there. So, yeah. you know, Cox, you know, going that way with yeah. that is like, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe you know, she, she didn't look at the bigger picture here. Yeah. Because, you know, you're normally, anytime something's replicated like this, yeah. um, if it's done well, like you guys have already successfully proven that, that it's done well and it's smart and um, it's drawn really well, um, you know, you're going to bring fans to the original material because they're going to be wanting more. And with that said, you guys have, you said they're setting this up for a 12-issue run. I mean, your scope, though, looks so much larger. I mean, is, is there a possibility that maybe we won't see it end in 12 issues? Or we'll, maybe we'll, if the success is good, we're seeing them five or six, you know, six issues in. We're seeing it go more and more and more. Will you guys expand the story and keep us keep a continuing series with this? We or? have, our deal right now is that we're going to publish the first 12 issues. Uh-huh. Uh, and we have a complete story in those 12. Okay. But we have... Uh, ideas for a second and a third series, which would expand the world, which would include incorporate more adventures into it. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you're, uh, basically a trilogy. Yeah, okay. we've always mentioned a trilogy, but be, even beyond that, I mean, we're dealing with all Shakespeare's characters, and there are hundreds, hundreds of fantastic characters. So it'd be great to be able to incorporate all of them. The great, one of the cool things. As we work on this project at conventions like this, or just people that email us, we find out more and more about people have their favorite Shakespeare plays and characters. Right. And they always are asking about that. It's, it's almost a... Uh, it's very similar to the comic book community, where people can geek out on Shakespeare, much like they can do in comic books. So, I mean, we'd love to, you know, we, at, for the 12 issues, we don't have time or space to incorporate, say, King Lear or Beatrice and Benedict or Titus. Right. But we'd love to... Titus is one of our Exactly, yeah. So, yeah but yeah. we have, you know, the overall story that we have, Titus is included, and King Lear is included, and Beatrice and Benedict will be involved. So, I mean, yeah, we definitely can see it that way, and we'd, always, we'd love to maybe even into the future see it as an ongoing type series, where we have, where we have prequels. Like, we'd love to, we always joke around about doing a Othello, uh, the Othello Chronicles, which is all about how Othello got from the end of his play to where he begins in our story, in issue four. Oh, nice. And I mean, you know, much like Fables has done, I mean, Fables has just continued on, and right. now you have Jack and Fables, you have all these spin-offs, I mean, it's definitely something we can see in the Kill Shakespeare world. Okay. I'd like, I'd like to see it go for 36 issues, for sure. I mean, so would I, it, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, so it, it's a, it would be like the bulk of my career right there, it would be those 36 issues, yeah. so it would be really cool. Right. Now, now this is a completely original story, obviously, right? Is there is there something like this does well that you might, other than do just completely original stories, maybe kind of revisit, rewrite? I don't want to say rewrite, but just kind of reinterpret in comic book form his original, his original material. Or are you guys just going to stick to the original or are your original stories and stuff like that? So, it's a good question. We haven't really thought about that. I mean, there are a lot of comic book interpretations and versions of Shakespeare's plays. Right. There's manga style, there's stuff that's set in the future, there's stuff with modern day language. Um, I think our concept is more of, you know, mashup of all of his plays. So right. if we're going to do a straight interpretation, I mean, I don't want to discount the notion, but no, right now I mean, we're focused more on we want to we want to we, we want to play in this playground that we that we've created. And I think I think, I think every teacher that we meet, like I yeah. met three teachers last night, 
every single one was like, this is the best thing ever. Because right. it's going to get my kids interested in and reading the plays. And underneath the language are some serious, serious, awesome stories. Right? But when kids get into the classroom and they see that language, the first thing they do is they kind of start shutting down. Oh, I hate this. Whatever, whatever. And teachers see this comic <laughs> book as being like the, like the gateway drug into into that that stuff right you I, know I, like this is this is othello in the in the comic you know kicking ass now let's, badass, now let's yeah. read about the what real, really happened right, in right, othello like you know put together originally yeah, right totally and uh, you know I, I imagine like um there's a some college classes at a local college where it's actually comic book arts and how they relate to other other medium and stuff like that um you know it i wouldn't be surprised if you start seeing classes where people are relating this comic to the actual original form and opening huge discussions i mean you guys have opened up a huge world of fandom for this. I mean, you know, um, what you just said, I mentioned it earlier, I don't know if you were here now, you know, you've opened it up to where, you know, um, people make films on this stuff or, you know, create comics to back to the original source, but people look, read this, they get excited about it and they go, man, I had no idea that Shakespeare was this cool, you know, or I had no idea he'd come up with these great, unique characters, and now I'm going to go back and read the original stuff, and now you've got fans that are just, you're crossing both worlds, so it's like, you, you, you know, this has only done good things for, you know, the original source material. I mean, you guys aren't doing, you guys are doing a fantastic job, you you, know, you guys are staying true to the original characters and their their feelings and thoughts and how they act. I mean, it's clear you guys have done your research. The more the more issues I draw, the more I get into it. Like I get, especially with like like designing the characters. But I love backgrounds. Like I'm trying to make this sort of a hybrid between American comics and European. Different like Europeans have a lot more time, but I'm just working harder to, to really put in more backgrounds. Like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, my wrist, yeah, is, title my wrist is a little mangled. Right, um, it's fine. Um, <laughs> a lot of American comics they leave backgrounds out, so you'll just get if someone's talking, it's a headshot with speaking parts, or it'll right. be like Superman flying in the air. I I, I want to build this world, so you know if you're in this like you know if you're, you're in a mountain range or whatever, I want it to feel like Lord of the Rings. The, the, the cool thing about Lord of the Rings was. For me, were those backgrounds? Mm -hmm. You know, we're flying over those mountains, or you know, the Hobbit village, and it feels like like cottage country when you're a kid or something like that. Right. I want to really get those backgrounds across and build that world, so the characters in them, you know, you really get immersed in that. Right. Um, that's my favorite Great part of Lord of the Rings. And, and it wasn't so, but the story was great, but I just loved seeing everything that I was seeing when I was watching Lord of the Rings. Just all like all the mountain ranges and cool forests, you know, and all that stuff. I'm really trying to, to put that on the page as opposed to, you know, just trying to go quick and, right. you know, just the gestures and, you know, superhero comics are all about they just want to see the flying superhero. Right. I'm not doing that. It's 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 about the backgrounds, it's about the world. So Well, you've also tackled a, kind of like a niche market as it is anyway because there's really not a whole lot of, I mean, there's so much more dudes in tights running around and flying around for, yeah. you know, um, instead of the fantasy elements which you guys already crafted, you know. I prefer the fantasy element, that's why this, you know, this, you know, it's an incredible thing and, um, you know, seeing that done well is 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 a big deal. You know, it, it's you guys are not only going to help going to help that medium too because there's a huge you know D Del Rey especially you know huge publishing you know the Dragonlance series Dungeons Dragons you know there's a, as far as novels there's a ton of it out there but as far as but as far as comics really you guys are just in a small corner sitting over here you know compared yeah. to the you know the Wolverine and and all the stuff like that. I mean um, back to what you were saying about your 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 epic scope I definitely feel that with this I feel like you're painting a, a, 
a much larger picture of what you're doing. And it seems like um, your your art's getting a little, you're becoming a little bit better of an artist as you go to. Oh, yeah. And now uh, because well, I, I read, the, I, I, I noticed in the first issue you you use a lot thicker lines and a yeah. lot like it, it seems yeah. a little rough. But yeah. I mean, and, but in the second one you've already like started improving as thinner lines. The characters look less stiff. Yeah. Um, I'm not trying to bash what no, you no, got no, no, me, no, but no, it's, no. And but I can tell that you're yeah. Yeah. the evolution of getting used to a project. Yeah, that just, was the right. thing. That was the thing. My career to, to date was uh, I'm really influenced by old EC horror comics and Jack Davis's work and okay. that kind of stuff. And the Raising Hell strip I was doing for TX Comics is very much an ode to old EC horror. Right. Right? You can't do horror comics, in my opinion, the way they do a lot of them today where they're just trying to make it look like a mainstream comic. Right. Those old horror comics, they really knew what they were doing. And then I was doing Bottle of Awesome for DC, which is still ongoing. And that's like Jamie Hewlett, like cartoony, Saturday morning cartoon right. looking stuff. So I was starting to get pigeonholed as this, this artist who couldn't do mainstream style work or detailed work or that kind of stuff. And I couldn't pick up a, a series, right? I'd get a one shot here or a one shot here. Right. But I was like, no, the, the, I want to I wanna get something where I'm like 12 to like 40 issues of really detailed stuff because I know I can do it. Right. So that first comic was literally me going, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do here. I'm trying to figure it out. So I used to, to ink with pit pens and, and like the tech pens. Right. Right. So issue one is all that. And then issue two, I'm still doing that, but I started I started playing with a brush. And I was like, because the brush just seemed more economical, I was burning through markers. Like a marker a page, boom, gone. Marker a page, boom, oh, wow. gone. Yeah. I would just burn through them like, like nothing. Yeah, so... I started using a brush, and ever since I used a brush, it's like night and day, and the work is getting, the work in four, five, and six, like, this is, this is a page from six. You know what yeah, I mean? So like, I can see that you, yeah, totally. you, you, your lines a lot thinner, and you're starting to see a lot more detail. In it. Yeah, that kind of detail. Like, who draws a barn to that extent? And he's always talking about his barn, but it's true. It's like, yeah, like this, this is the work from issue one, right? And it's still that blocky stuff. Whereas, you know, you get into issue six kind of stuff. You're getting a lot smoother with You're your lines. You're getting a lot smoother, it. yeah. And uh, like I said, with the backgrounds, and I'm doing really crazy stuff with uh, storytelling and layout as well. <laughs> and I see that you're, and, and you mentioned the detailed barn. Is I mean, that's, is that, that's your plan to continue with the scope of show more of the world around us? Yeah. I yeah, mean, you've already done, you were, I mean, what are you, in the first issue, I mean, we got sorcery already introduced twice. I mean, we got, yeah. uh, um, you know, sorcery magic introduced. We got pirates introduced. I mean, pirates are like, you know, a big deal for me too. I mean, we've got the <laughs> yeah, whole, totally. this whole deal, you know, we've got a, you know, mix of fantasy. we got Buccaneer and then we're back into the fantasy. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's really crazy. Like some of the, some of the, the backgrounds I'm doing and like the, the layouts of like bars and stuff like that is all really crazy. Well, and, and Shakespeare was definitely um, um, it, it, it's it, you know his period time period you know you're you're really capturing that as well. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm going for. It's kind of like a period piece. All as they well. did was what's what's difference between this and regular Shakespeare? It was, it was on stage, right? They didn't have a big budget. They couldn't do that. I'm kind of like taking Shakespeare with these guys and basically showing you what the world would have actually looked like instead of being confined to the stage. Right. So, and I mean, I'm doing stuff with storytelling where it's like one long continuous background and it's like these dreamscape scenes. Mm -hmm. Like, these four pages are completely connected with the same background. It's uh, just the storytelling stuff is a lot of fun in this book. 
So and these are the peek action. into like uh, right. I'm seeing a lot of the issues right. that haven't come out yet. Yeah, um, but. And, and I do like your guys' style here. I, I've noticed too. Even just seeing this, it just reminded me of something else: is that you guys are not um, boxing yourselves in. We're like one box is here, and you're just reading left to right from box to box to box. It's all just like you're reading down the page, like you would a book too. Which is that something you guys, you know, knew that you wanted to do it that way, or is that just your style? Everything that I have done to date has been really rigid layouts, and that's sort of been like hammered into me. The, the, the image days where they were like being super crazy and you didn't know what you were looking at at a page. Uh, everyone has gotten out of that, right? Basically, like, uh, some of our influences, like mine, they're like Cameron Stewart, uh, Darren Cook, they're all friends of mine. Very rigid storytelling structures. And because all of the guys I know do it, I was like, I'm going to change it up. And okay. I started playing with just every, every box is crooked. And then I just started really, like, playing with different storytelling styles. I wanted to have creating, montage. Creating a great issue one debate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In issue, issue one, I did a, a storytelling thing where these guys, uh, they had a talking scene for four pages. And I was like, ah, I hate talking head scenes for four right. pages. It's, it, it really uses the reader. So what I was thinking was, um, I'm going to have the scenes with the talking heads, but I'm going to build a secondary narrative in the background. So that scene at the beginning where you see the ocean in the background, and like the, the, right. the sculptures coming out of the water and the swords, it's all representational of what they're talking about in the scene. So you can see Hamlet talking to Rosencrantz in the scene, but the little, literally the stuff they're talking about is happening like a dream behind them. And it was a way to, to tell the story on two different levels. Um, and I, th I think it looked really cool. It and works. I, yeah, it and works. I think it totally works. works. I know it's something that we were a little a little scared of it at first. You know, we'd yeah. have this different vision of like a lot of like you know great you know face work, right? Like Andy was doing this great face work where to get these emotions from faces, which we did still end up getting. And it was interesting because I think one of the nice things about this project, being that you know, Anthony and I are new to comics, we're not really bound by the rules. Oh, I mean, yeah. if Break somebody up. says let's do it, we don't have ten years in the business to say, you know, this is why you don't do it or that was tried and it didn't work. We just say, does that sound cool? That sounds cool to me. Let's do it. So I think. It's fun for us to watch Andy get to play, and I think it's fun for Andy to get us watch us like we just we just suggest all this crazy stuff to him because we just figure yeah anything can be drawn anything is possible and I think people reacted to the fact that this is a very atypical looking book it's it's an atypical read in terms of the use of language and. The nicest thing is, a lot of people seem to say, even if they weren't Shakespeare fans, they're fans of unique work, and this is a unique work from how it looks to how it sounds to... I wouldn't say they give me free license either. There's scrutiny. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. There's <laughs> scrutiny when we're working. Sometimes, sometimes they're like, huh? I don't know, man. You might want to rein that in a bit. So. And we're joined by uh, Connor McCurry here. He's the other uh, co-author of the uh, comic as well. So, we're good. No, it's a, it's a, it's been a really, really fun book to work on, and I really like, like the storytelling aspect of it is what I'm really playing with, and it's exciting, and hopefully all the stuff like my, my chunkiness and all the rest of that will clean itself up over the next little while. Like sometimes you just got to do it, you know what I mean? It's issue one, you just gotta. It's out there. Well, you know? well, you're, you're hooked in more. I mean, the artwork's fantastic, but you're you're hooking them with a great story too. So, yeah. and and you left the, the the first one in a good way, where it's like you know I, I finished it. I'm 
I'm like, well, you know, I gotta wait another month for the second one, Brad. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, so they did a really good job of that. So, cool. but as, as you were talking about, you've got this, you know, you, you three are the ones that are working primarily um, on everything here. Um, is there a lot where you guys are just kind of like, uh, you know, or you guys have, have the butt heads on what you're doing? Or I mean, well, you, that you, thing you, we were talking about in issue one was a major headbutt. Was that what you were doing yeah. in the back, telling the story yeah, in the background? Totally. And yeah, totally. I, I wasn't crazy, and then. You know, I sort of started to come around a little bit. I was like, you know what? All right, let's. Yeah, I was like, let's. We can do the. Let's do the. Let's do the pencils. We can see yeah. the pencils and see how that works. And then we'll. You know, but warning you, man, you may have to redo it. And Andy's like, well, I have to redo it. You know what? I'm gonna do all four pages of dialogue in one page. It's gonna be 36 panels. <laughs> yeah. You know, and Anthony was like, yeah, you know, this gets... crazy dreamscape thing. People don't know where the hell they are. Like we yeah. started in the past. Then we're in this new world. Then we're like magic shows up. Then we're in a dreamscape. Nobody's gonna know where the hell we are. If you don't do it this way. You know, and it, would, it gets chippy sometimes. Um, but that's totally. the only bad one we had because it worked. And and it was, like, you, I don't think you just did went ahead and did it. I think those pages were all Even after it's already printed, you still have it. I mean, as a reader, I, I thought <laughs> my, my, my way would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> my your way is always better, right? Is that what it is? Exactly. Thank you very enough. much. See, <laughs> he's a reporter and he talks fast. Every review. I'm always right. I'm not about that. I'm just. Oh, you're quoting me. Right. Every, every, every yeah, review, yeah. actually, Thank that uh, came in that's talked about um, yeah, three or four of them Two specifically reviews. about that. And Andy was, like, cutting and pasting, emailing us. Yeah. And I think it actually See? set a tone See? for... It set a tone yeah. for the fact that we were actually going to let ourselves get out of the box a little bit and do some unusual things. And that, you know, as you read issue two and three, you're going to, you know, you see things, especially issue three, where we introduce Puck, that changes things. There's a really neat two-page that, right? spread yeah. about how, even how the coloring has to change, because now there's this magical creature that's... Really fantastical. Yeah. yeah. It, I do see a lot of use of dark colors throughout it, but that, I mean, hand of the story is a dark one. It's not, there's nothing good about it in the beginning, you know what I'm saying? It'd be nice to, you know, it's it's nice that you're going to start introducing some lighter elements. Not that I don't mind the dark story, because, you know, vengeance and all that other, that's great. That feeds yeah, it, you, you know. have fun, too. Right. You need I that mean, comedic element to, like, pull yourself out a little bit and enjoy yourself. You know what I mean? Right. Like, Even Lord of the Rings has some funny moments. You right. Know? Like, yeah, you've got your, yeah. yeah. With funny heads, I mean, most of Legolas and Gimli. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We, like, call each other on each other's crutches. Like, for a while, we were writing a scene where like, almost every comic had a scene where a guy had a hand on somebody else's shoulder. And Andy was just like, about to explode, you know, and then we have like right now we got a lot of smoke. There's a lot of smoke every time people fight. Smoke shows up from somewhere, so right. now we're like, oh, maybe we gotta like pull back on the smoke, you know. And we're just kind of calling. Well, the first time you I've told you. Is that the introduction? When you first fight? Well, yeah, I saw that you know they introduce the smoke a couple times. It's usually uh, like a prelude to some yeah, fantastical so element or some you know sorcery yeah. magic that's yeah, supposed so to show up. So I see that fall. I, I, like, like to have something that you go to that works and bring it back. And I think what makes it a good partnership yeah. is we do we do question why we're doing things. And Andy is great at saying like like issue five. He was like, why this issue? Like he actually questioned the entire issue. Like yeah. why? Like, what's the this point of this story? issue? And so we explained, and he's like, all right, I got. It, and now that you've told me what it is, it's not clear to me for sure in the words, but I've got this great idea of how I'm going to start designing this to really reinforce it, because it's a great idea. And yeah, issue five ended up being something with his visuals that really reinforced our idea, and I think it works much better than if he just drawn it and been like, I don't really know, but I don't want to rock the boat. Yeah, it was it was something where I read the script and I was like, what is the main point of issue five? What where, where what are our what's the goal? What's Hamlet's goal? 
what's the goal of his character development in this thing? And uh, there's, you know, there was like a page, a couple pages where I was like, okay, these are the two important pages of the whole issue to make that happen. Let's blow that up to four or five. Sorry, guys. That's all right. Thank you. So I was like, let's blow that up to four or five and make it a bigger thing. Expand on it. Expand on that because that is the the important part of the the issue. Which was cool. And then he came at me with, oh, I had I just wrote this other scene for this other thing. We could probably put it in. What do you think about this? And it was like awesome. And I was like, totally. That totally reinforces what the point of this issue is. And this is a really cool scene. Like, it was awesome. So he, he cut that in, and it was it worked we really well. Drafts. We did seventeen drafts in the first issue. Oh wow! So there's yeah. a lot of extra pages floating around, and sometimes it's tough when you're writing. You're like, well, there's that great moment between these two characters, and you're just gonna be like, you know what? Kind of Let it be. It'll either come later in the series. We get to do another series. It'll show up there. Or you know what? I'm just gonna change the names of those two characters. I'm learning something different five years down the road. But yeah, that was that this four-page horror scene that I just didn't know what to do with anymore. It didn't make sense when we rewrote something. Yeah, and he's like, can we get something a little different? And so I sent it over, and yeah, he was. That's a, yeah, it was charged. The quickest response I've ever got from you. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait, this is awesome. He probably started drawing it before we even said, yeah, we should so. do it. Yeah. That's his tactic. He's really good. He draws something before we can actually have a full discussion over it. He's like, guys, it's done. Wait, I'm going to redraw the whole page. It's a very good tactic. <laughs> I know. Well, because you're, you're doing it your, your vision, your way. And it's kind of hard, you know, when you see something that works that good, that's like, yeah. well, you know, you know. But <laughs> Except when it doesn't agree with what, what he what has there, right? I am always right. <laughs> right. Yeah, but he's starting to trust me. There you go. I am always right. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it, it, it used to be just, you know, the, the, the artwork was always just taken center stage. You know, the old comics, I mean, if you read those, I mean, it's like, man, who was writing this? About five-year-old, you know? Yeah. Not like Axios, but now it's <laughs> Right, and now it's writing is almost a, a key uh, key player. I mean, you're getting Stephen King's even right, writing comics now, you know? So yeah. it's like, I mean, writing is such a huge deal, and it makes yeah. it with a great piece of art, you know? Yeah. Um, back to that, did you guys receive a good response for the most part? I know you were talking about you've seen a lot of emails on that part where he was doing the, the, the backscape in the background. Okay. Um, were you were you guys getting a, good, a lot of good response in the reviews? You mentioned the reviews, oh, but yeah. you never really said anything, so... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, overall, with the exception of, like I said, uh, you know, Kimberly Cox, one other scholar, had a couple reviewers. I mean, for the most part, the reviews have been quite strong, especially as the series has gone on. I mean, uh, one of the latest reviews uh, for someone who read 1, 2, and 3 all together once was, you know, that they used the term genius. Uh, oh, so, yeah. Nice. Yeah, so across the board, I mean, we have gotten very, very strong response. So does that feed your ego about being right? Well, they told me I was a genius. It doesn't because I've always known that I'm right, but now you just confirm that from the media. So. It's nice for the little people to know. Actually, one of the nicest things was uh, we had one pretty scathing review. I think it was from Newsarama for the first one. It just didn't was not a fan. Really? And then we recently got a review from Newsarama for two and three, and the discussion was, hey, you know what? This is going the way I kind of hoped the concept would when I first heard of it, and now I'm looking at the first issue a little differently. And while it's still not my favorite piece of work, it has set a tone for a story that I'm now starting to get really excited about. Right. Just like, you know, Andy had blocky lines in one, we had clunky dialogue, we had awkward scene transitions because, you know, we were figuring our way out around the world. And well, you're 17 drafts, yeah, I mean, yeah, 
looks like you, know, you guys were putting issue issue it. one was was a really tough. That was like giving birth, and every and every good. every issue after that yeah. has been like awesome. It's well, I mean, good, setting it's setting the you know the slate for what you guys are going to do on the scope. You know, yeah. you set the scope, you're setting the slate of what, what you know the ultimate goal is. I mean, you're dropping hints like that. I mean, it's hard stuff. I mean, yeah, it was. Is any writer you know? It's, sure always, it's always tough when you're doing the establishing parts of the story, and that's what that's, that's what the first issue was. I mean, right. establishing who these characters are, exposition, yeah, exposition, and what's the inciting incident. Okay, so now he's on this quest. Okay, now the fun can begin. Yeah, it's like, all right, now these now he's going to start. All right, let's go. And also, I mean, as you write these things more and more, the story changes, and really, you really understand it in a different way as a writer. In the first issue, we hadn't has had as much experience with the story, and so we didn't understand it as well as we understand it now. I mean, now we have a and probably will say in three months that we had this whole new, even deeper understanding of the story, which is, it's kind of exciting as writers, you know, we both say it's neat when you write something and you know, we call them heretical suggestions when somebody bats back and says, what if we did something like turn this 180 degrees around and most times we talk it over like, wow, that makes it that much sharper, that much better and it's exciting to find that the story always has new things for you even though you're the writer. Yeah. So the cool thing about doing this comic book is that you know, we, we get this sort of feedback from, from the people that are reading it, from the reviewers, and actually that has forced, uh, not forced, but it's allowed us to make changes and tinker with some of the stories moving forward. I mean, when stuff came in on issue number one, you know, some of the reaction were like, oh, some people commented on this. Okay, you know, so now in issues four, five, and six, when you're finished locking those scripts, we made some changes and alterations to it. So that's one of the cool things about working in comics. You get that instant feedback. So you guys have, like, you know, the, the overall, the, the, the scope, the, the plan for the whole entire thing laid out, but you guys are still obviously listening to feedback, making changes as we go, oh, like, oh, we didn't think that people were going to look at this character and go, oh, man, you know, so, um, and how, how much ahead of time are you getting stuff? I mean, are they just, are they changing it to Haley, like, ah, oh, you know, let's, uh, let's do this. They wanted, it, they wanted it as fast as possible, and I wanted to look as crazy as possible, so, you know, uh, I'm finishing up issue six now, and then right when I get back, and as soon as I get back, I also jump into issue seven. Right away, we have a meeting today about issue seven, like, where we're going with the script for the first time. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm chugging along. Like, we're not behind or late or anything like that. We're well ahead, so it's it's really cool. Can you tell any about, like, big plot stuff? You know, like, if there's, like, if this is foreshadowing something that we know we're doing in yeah, five issues, right. yeah. we let them know, but we didn't want to bog them down with, you know, especially when you do so many different drafts, like, what's the point of him reading issue 10 if by the time we actually get that, we're going to move a couple scenes, change something. Right. Like, all it does is potentially confuse him or just get him attached. Oh, crap, I thought we were going to do this. Yeah, actually, you know, and then it's like, oh, I was really looking forward to drawing, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Well, you guys created uh, an amazing property, and I hope it, it continues for you well past the 12 issues. So, I hope so too. in fact, you know, my, my 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 girlfriend will not read comics. She's just she oh, really? she likes she'll go to the movies with me, and I'll see Iron Man <laughs> too. And she's great about that stuff. But since we've gotten this whole dialogue with you guys about uh, you know setting the interview and stuff, and, and she actually had never heard about the premise of this comic before, uh, she doesn't take this time anyway. But but, that, but she now she wants to read it. She's like, I want to read this because she she was a big you know in school she was ever plays she was drama club something like that and this was a big deal for her Shakespeare originally was a big deal for her so she actually just the more she's finding out more information about this and the fact that I'm doing this she's actually really pumped, really <laughs> pumped awesome. to hear what's going to happen I think, happen, I think so. it has the potential to be huge yeah. yeah I think this thing has the potential to be huge I just have to work my butt off and get it yeah. out there now yeah. Uh, I was going to say, piggyback off your uh, comment, I mean, we found, even here, what Connor made the observation on the first day here at the con, a, a lot of people that come up and talk to us that have read 
kill Shakespeare are teenage girls. I was going to ask and that. We never, we never thought about that. Right. Like we knew that eventually the series could be, you know, like the, like the both males and females. We thought especially at the beginning it would be predominantly males because, let's face it, our number one major female character, Juliet, doesn't show up until issue four. Right. So, well, I mean, sorry, I mean, with the exception of Lady Macbeth. Right. I mean, yeah, but, but she's yeah, not nice. But you, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> just getting hints of Lady Macbeth in the first couple of days. Yeah, exactly. But it seems, you know, a lot of people that are coming up are, are, are females. And traditionally, females, you know, uh, traditionally Shakespeare skews more towards females than males. Right. So, yeah, well, that's why we think this does have the possibility of becoming that crossover that can get a lot of, uh, a lot of females uh, to read. We know, compared to Lord of the Rings, you know, which was one of those things. A lot of people, but everybody knew about the books pretty much. Many people tried to read them but found them difficult to read because of the way Tolkien writes. And then this movie came out and all of a sudden we, we realized as a culture there was way more Lord of the Rings fans out there than anybody knew. Right. And as soon as they knew that they all existed, it became this, like almost a Star Wars culture like that. It did. And the same thing with Shakespeare. I think there's a lot more closet Shakespeare fans out there than anybody realizes. And if we can do this right, then all of a sudden, same thing, there's going to be this huge upswell, and they're going to look at each other and go, crap, there's a lot of us. And I think this, you know, we, we joke, but we hope that in five years from now, there are tons of people dressed up as the Kill Shakespeare Lady Macbeth, the Kill Shakespeare for Sparrow, the Kill Shakespeare, you know, and that it's all of a sudden an identifiable crowd that everybody digs, because let's face it, scratch a geek. There's a little bit of a Shakespeare lover there, almost right. guaranteed. Even if they don't know they love Shakespeare, someone will say, that thing you dig, that's actually a lot like this play. And right. That'd be cool if that's what we do, is people finding out that what they dig is actually kind of close to Macbeth and Othello, and then getting someone to hand them that play and kind of walking through it, that'd be fantastic. And, and back to what he was saying is, you know, comics obviously target the male audience. I mean, when you got your, most of your heroines get, or got boobs bigger than their heads, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, that's obviously a male audience, but you're bringing this right here, which you said, you know, Shakespeare originally is, uh, you know, more toward a female audience, and I actually believe that growing up in uh, um, growing up when I had it in high school when I was reading the books, you know, just females are just much larger fans of that. And you know, if you guys this works across the lines of that, I mean, you guys are huge. I mean, that'd be like maybe you get in five years your option in a movie, you know? Yeah, so. yeah. No, we uh, we always joke that uh, you know, sorry, we've been joking the last few days. We should just. Uh just get uh, just cast Robert Pattinson right now to star as Hamlet. Uh, oh, you guys be the next Twilight baby. Well, you know he would grow up. You know, maybe pack on a couple muscles. He probably yeah, could do it. Do the role. You know? <laughs> Less pale, I hope. He's an actor yet. That's, yeah. You know, so maybe he is. Maybe he's a really good yeah. actor for all yeah. So well, Cedric wasn't bad. He did more of that small role. <laughs> There you go. You've never seen the Twilight films. How would you know? I will, uh, oh, we don't need to get baited. You guys will, are definitely way better <laughs> than the Twilight. Right. Yeah. I, will, I will never put you guys in the same boat as that crap. Yeah. So, wow. but that's my own, uh, yeah, I don't know. Are you a Twilight fan? Can we or? On that? Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a fan of the marketing of Twilight. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if you guys, re, you know, if you could ever reach that kind of, that's the kind of success you want to reach, yeah. you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's but, that's but, model, but you guys actually know how to write, so it's cool. It works for you. I'm a horror yeah. movie fan. I look at that as being like, the worst thing ever. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, her focus wasn't wasn't yeah, the horror. It yeah. was the uh, it was the love, romance, the romance, yeah. which you know, but, uh, which well, I don't know how that. Well, no, the funny part is, is like every time I carve on this movie, my buddy, my one buddy Cameron, would say, "Andy, it's for fourteen-year-old girls." And he's like, "You're not a fourteen-year-old yeah. girl. That's why you hate it." And right. I was like, "Okay, well, yeah, I'm not the right demographic." So. But yeah. what? But you know, what kind of message are you sending to those fourteen-year-old girls when when your lead character is a girl that constantly is in danger?
danger, um, getting hurt. Um, men are treating her like her, her man's actually treating her like crap, like leaves her on countless occasions. But because they're in love, you know, it's okay. You know, um, it's good to see that you know, you know, what you mentioned is you're gonna have a strong heroine character um, um, in yours that's gonna make you know possibly a positive influence on a few markets. She's surly in this. She's been through some some stuff. Well, I mean, she came back from the dead. dead. That's pretty big uh, deal. Not many women do that. No, (laughs) she's she's a little surly. She's pretty surly. I mean, yeah, here's this one. She she tried love once, gave it her all, and the love of her life ended up dead, and she survived it, and so now now she's got all this guilt, and there's this whole thing like, I'm not going to try that again. Attention, attention in the hall. So that Please come to I can see in that role there'd be like a little bit of a bitterness too. Like I've lost the the, the, is that kind of come out? Please come to Paul C. The show office. Not to tip hats, but I mean. If Juliet's around, it's conceivably possible that Romeo could one day be around too. So, well, I mean, I read some buzz about this on the internet, and there's hints that it. I don't know, but people you know speculate on a lot of things. So, yeah. uh, no, you guys can't tell me no, that. No, yeah, no spoiler alert. No spoiler alert. But, yeah, Romeo does show up. Oh. There's a there's a Romeo. We'll see it on the website. There's there's a, yeah, there's a Romeo character design on the website. That was right. an elaborate <laughs> dodge. Yeah, right. Oh, Maybe yeah. he doesn't show up. <laughs> um, Oh well, thank you guys uh, awesome. very very much. Thank you. Um, sorry, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. no, it's all right. I didn't mind. I got them. I've got some time, so it's oh, all right. Cool. This is my light day, so we're good. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So, very cool. Thank you guys very much. Disclaimer, the opinions expressed by the participants in this podcast are their own and do not necessarily represent those of Comics Online, any other participants, or any employers past, present, or future. If you would have thought otherwise without hearing this disclaimer, maybe you're not ready for this whole internet thing, much less the Scottish play. Or maybe you're instead one of our smart and sexy fans who appreciate foul language, foul stuff and fighting sarcasm as well as everything heat pop culture, even when it's delivered by a robotic voice like mine. If you have comments, questions or suggestions for the Comics Online podcasters, we invite you to post in our forums at comicsonline.com, follow us on Twitter, like our Facebook group, and you can always email us at podcast at comicsonline.com. All original material in this podcast copyright Comics Online. For sooth. Comics online.com.